So this evening, I'd like to look a little bit at, in a way, uh, what happens when we practice. So we come on a retreat, we might have done many retreats before, we might have done a little bit, or we just start. And in a way, any activity we do is not without a certain intention, is not without a certain goal. I know it in some uh, places, uh, they tell you that you sit, but you have no goal whatsoever. But even having no goal is having a goal, of having no goal. So generally, any activity has an intention or a non-intention, but you're still, in a way, going towards something. So in a way, we are doing the meditation. And so, of course, when we're sitting, uh, the cultivation is very much about the anchoring, the exploration, the investigation, also the cultivating a friendly attitude. But So that's in the doing of it. But in a way, uh, we might have like a, what I would call a short-term goal, which is just to do the meditation as best as we can, considering the condition. But then generally we have a bit like of a long-term goal. And we can have many different long-term goals. As at times Chris mentioned, you could have awakening as a long-term goal. Or you could have dissolving certain patterns, certain habits as a long-term goal trying to dissolve some suffering as a long-term goal. Or you could have developing wisdom and compassion as a long-term goal. And then, in a way, that goal, that intention, uh, is what, in a way, serves as an insp inspiration. Because as you might have noticed during the retreat, it's not fun every second. At times, it feels nice, calm, open. And at times, it's hard work. And you, know, you might have thought, oh, if I come on a retreat, I'll feel relaxed. And what you might have noticed is that you feel tired. And often, you don't think, I go on a retreat, and your friends say, oh, you're going to have a nice time, nice space. You know? And then at the end of the day, you're poor. I'm so tired. So it's tiring. It's kind of, you know, we use energy. But in a way, I think what we have to be slightly careful in terms of bringing the meditation into daily life is the difference between aspiration and expectation. Aspiration is what will move us towards something. What will give us energy to do something, to cultivate something. But it's open-ended. It's not, it's not saying, like expectation is saying, I want this kind of awakening. I want this kind of dissolution of suffering. I want this to be this totally eradicated yesterday. It's kind of like, uh, you have sometimes, the more fixed expectation you have, uh, I would say the unlikelier it's, go it's going to happen. Uh, so that's one thing. Then the other thing that might happen is that you do a meditation and hopefully uh, it is a beneficial experience. And so you might feel calmer, more open, more balanced, you might feel you might have understood something. But the f and Chris talked about that. But what is important to see that the experience of understanding something, the experience of be feeling really calm, like all things, this too is impermanent. So these two depend on certain conditions. And some of the condition is being here and doing some meditation over a few days. 
and hopefully it will have a beneficial effect. And so in a way, to have to be careful to think, oh, I'm going to go back to my uh, daily life and I will keep that state of calm, openness, understanding. I mean, it will come with you. And as someone was saying, the effect generally lasts two months. And then it kind of like kind of vanish. Sometimes it doesn't last so long. <laughs> it depends. There was this friend of mine who used to come and she said she had uh, quite a few difficulties with her daughter. And she said, oh, after a retreat for two weeks, I am so calm and patient. It's so nice. And then it kind of, uh, she gets stressed and then it gets more difficult. So in a way, uh, what I want partly to talk about tonight is what I call the four stages of creative engagement. And so to show that in terms of this kind of like, you know, the intention we have, what we hope to experience, how we hope meditation, mindfulness can help us, that actually there are four stages in it. And the stages, are, we have to be careful, are not linear, first, second, third, fourth, but that at any given moment, we can experience one of them. So it's kind of very important to see, it's not like kind of we go that way toward the goal, but that according to different conditions, according to our habits, we might be at any of these given stages, but each of them is as important as the other. That I think is very important to see. And so I call them after, during, and the beginning, before. So here is kind of looking a little bit of our, our intention. And in a way, what blocks, you could say what blocks us from being wise and compassionate, what blocks us from being calm, and open and creative. And a lot of the time, it's our habits. Mental habits, emotional habits, physical habits, relationship habits. We kind of get habituated uh, relatively easily, which then can lead to certain fi fixation. And so often one of the reasons we uh, meditate is because we would like uh, to change certain aspects of ourselves, or we would like to cultivate more certain aspect of ourselves. I know for myself, when I um, thought about uh, meditating, it was at a time where I was uh, more like a political activist, and I wanted to change the, the world. But I read, at that time, I read a piece from a passage from a, a Buddhist text. And in there, the Buddha said, before you try to change others, possibly you might want to change yourself. Because, I mean, if you cannot change yourself with a subtext, how are you going to change others? And I thought, hmm, this is actually not such a bad idea. Because I thought, because what it made me reflect is that I had lots of good intentions. I had the intention to be calm, to be open. I had the intention to love everybody equally. I had the intention not to be egoist, not to be jealous, or whatever it could be. And I could think as much as I wanted, don't be egoist, don't be jealous. And it had no effect whatsoever. So I thought, hmm, maybe he has a point, you know, that maybe first time I need to find possibly a way to see, yeah, if can this have a transformational effect? Can this be beneficial? So I kind of decided to kind of move toward more meditation. So in a way, you have this kind of idea, project, intention. And so you want to be wise, compassionate, whatever it might be, or you want to be not angry or not reactive or anxious. And then you go back into daily life. And then, generally, 
as long as the conditions are quite good, we're actually a very nice Buddhist and meditator. You know, if things go well, you think, oh, my meditation really works well. Because, you know, I mean, if nobody bothers you and if you don't have any great difficulty, I mean, it's relatively easy to be wise, compassionate, and peaceful and clear. And then, and then we kind of have a little bit the surprise that when certain conditions happen, so we have this impression, like, you know, uh, we feel like you could nearly say a better person. You know, oh, yes, you know, yes, I love him, oh, yes. <laughs> and then suddenly you find yourself very different. And you kind of like, hmm? And what is interesting, I would say the first stage I call after, is that it's when we suddenly we realize we've been caught. And so generally people get very upset, but I mean, I've meditated, I've done mindfulness, I've done mindfulness training. I should not have reacted that way. But what you can enjoy and notice and creatively engage with is the fact that it stopped. You are not continuing renting. You are not continuing being anxious. It's gone. And this is an important moment in terms of mindfulness, of this creative engagement, is that we have to see that a lot of the time when we are angry, anxious, fearful, whatever it is, we totally think in a way there is nothing else. And often, especially if we're angry, we feel we have the right to be angry. They really did something, yes, you know. They nearly like this enjoyment of, you know, I'm so angry, you know. And so generally we really identify with whatever reactivity we have as this is me. And I could not do anything else. And I can continue to do it. But if there is some mindfulness, there is some meditation, at some point, we see, oh, I did this. Oh, that was weird to react in that way. Maybe it was not appropriate, not beneficial, maybe harmful to myself and others. And that's, in a way, is kind of what I would call a moment of letting go, a moment of creative engagement to see we start to stop being totally identified with the habit, but we can see, oh, the habit happened. But now, it stopped. Now I can see that's what happened. And so instead of going, this is terrible, I'm a terrible person, this is a very important, and that's why we put the emphasis on this befriending mindfulness. Oh, I did this, wow, this was, mm. Not so good, not so good, but what can I learn from that? I remember when I was in, a, in Korea, I was a nun. That was very much in the early days. And it was a season of uh, gathering the persimmon. And it was kind of a lot of hard work. It's huge tree and you have bamboo. and you. So anyway, I gathered this pail filled with persimmon. And then some guests, foreign guests had arrived, and that was our job, to speak to them in English about Buddhism. And at the time, uh, I could not remember all these lists. And so I kind of, okay, here they come. I have to talk to them. So they were asking about Buddhism, what is the main teaching. So I thought, okay, I'll talk to them about the Four Noble Truths. And then I was saying, okay, okay, Four Noble Truths. So I kind of started talking about Yes, suffering, and then I'm kind of, the next one. (laughs) And then suddenly, I jump, and I shout at a monk, because he was pinching my pail of persimmon. (laughs) They were mine, you know? So I kind of jump, I kind of, okay, 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 so he leave me the pail. 
he goes off, and I come back to the guest. Oh, yeah, the second one, craving. And, <laughs> Uh, then, you know, liberation for craving, the cessation of craving, the noble eightfold path. I thought, great, I remembered. Uh, the four, phew, you know, did it. And then they left. And then my friend said, did you notice? I said, notice what? <laughs> well, you shouted at the monk. Oh. <laughs> so here somebody pointed it out. Because it was like, you know, automatic. And I thought, yeah, I did this. Mm. What can I learn from that? <laughs> so in a way, I think it's already an important moment to see, oh, I did this. And to kind of have this kind of befriending, opening attitude to look, oh, what did I do? How did it happen? How did it work? And also to notice, oh, now it's, it's stopped, now it's gone. I think this is very important to see that, in a way, that too, however strong he was in the moment, it's impermanent. Then you have the next stage, and that's when you have done little more meditation, little more mindfulness, and this is when you're in the middle. And this is actually the worst. It's kind of a creative engaged moment which is very frustrating, because you're really aware that you are in the middle of you're anxious, you're angry, whatever it is. And you're so aware of it. And it doesn't seem to make a difference. So before, at least you could enjoy it. Now you can't. <laughs> now, my, with mindfulness, you can't really enjoy it anymore. You're like, I'm doing this. And in a way, what we have to see at this moment is the power of the habit. The power of the habit is very strong. If we've done something for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I mean, it has a kind of quite a lot of power behind it. And so in a way, what we're doing on a meditation retreat, what we're doing when we practice at home, is cultivating the power of the mindfulness, of the creative awareness. And so in that moment, I know it's frustrating to feel, be in the middle of this. And you think, you know, I don't want this. I don't want to react that way. But you are reacting that way. And it's kind of, it feels unpleasant. But what is very important, and for me this is a kind of a creatively engaged moment, is to see how does it feel. Because generally you are in the story of it and you are in the building of the grasping, amplifying, identifying. And here, you really can use investigation. How does it feel? How is it to be in this maelstrom? What is going on in my mind? What is going on in my body? What is happening in that moment? So that the mindfulness, I mean, it's not pleasant, the tonality is not pleasant, but if we, are, if we can creatively engage in the middle of it, it might not necessarily go, but it might not be amplified as much. So it might last less long, be less intense, and you also will get to know how does it feel, this habit. And this is what uh, I learned because uh, I am, uh, I would say my temperament can be, used to be more volatile, but with meditation it kind of much improved. And one day, many years ago, I was uh, having a, a discussion, what you could call a friendly uh, Buddhist discussion with another Buddhist. And of course it was uh, an argument. <laughs> and so we did not, we did not shout, we did not raise a voice, but you could feel. And so I was saying, but I'll do it. Yeah, 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 you forgot last time. You will not do it again. I cannot trust you. But I will do it. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was kind of one of these things. And then finally I had to let the discussion because I had to cook for a conference. So I kind of leave the, the discussion of who was going to do it and da, da, da. And so I start to kind of, you know, cook and I start to cut carrots. And then suddenly... 
I found myself really being aware that I am cutting carrots. <laughs> and I think this is a little dangerous. <laughs> so, okay, something is going on here. And then with the investigation, I go in the body. And the body is... And I think, but who is doing this to my body? I am doing this to me. Nobody else is doing this to me. And through the, through the power of awareness, it stopped. And then I kind of look in the mind, but what is the mind saying in this instance? And the mind is saying, I am right, she's wrong. I'm right, she's wrong. And then I thought, but what is she thinking? She's thinking the same. I'm right, she's wrong, but on the opposite side. And then it just went. So in a way, we're developing the power of creative awareness so that we can really go into the experience and then kind of see what is going on. And so sometimes it will just go. And other time, we kind of really, really know how it feels. And then it will be also, I think, easier to be with it skillfully, to kind of like not amplify it, recognize it in a way. And then you have the next one. And so the next one is what I call at the beginning. Because if you bring mindfulness, creative awareness to what you do, you start to realize that you are not always reacting. You might have a tendency to be anxious. You might have a tendency to be angry, etc. But you are not doing it all the time. And this is why this investigation of impermanence of change is so important. For us to realize we are not fixed. We, we can have tendency, of course, through repetition, through automatic reactivity. But we are not always doing it. Because always doing it would mean you do it every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every year. And we, even if you wanted to, you could not sustain it. So then, with the investigation, we can start to recognize what are the conditions which makes me anxious, angry, sad, whatever it might be. What happens? And then, that's where again the mindfulness becomes very interesting, I feel, in daily life. It becomes an exploration. What is going on? Because sometimes, somebody does something and it doesn't bother you. And all the time, the person does exactly the same thing and it bothers you. So obviously, something is a little different. So in a way, we start to discover that you have condition, you have trigger, and you have contributing factors. And I think these three are really important over time to discover so that we can creatively engage with our painful habits. And so what I mean by condition, that in certain conditions, we, kind of, we will react. That's, I think, we can recognize that over time. Certain people, uh, once I had this lady, and she tells me, I always feel guilty. I thought, really? Yes, yes, I always feel guilty. It's terrible, it's terrible. I said, can you, as a practice, be aware of when you don't feel guilty? So instead of concentrating on, I feel guilty, just concentrate on when you don't feel guilty. So how does it feel when you don't feel guilty? So she goes and do it and says, true, I don't feel guilty all the time. And then she pinpointed to one person. If she met that one person, then she would kind of like, it would really trigger her. And then she would feel guilty for quite some time. That is this kind of power. So, but to see that was kind of really, ah, 
kind of really clarified. I don't feel guilty all the time and maybe I'll have to be careful when I meet that person. Or you can have a contributing factor which can be if you don't sleep well or if you feel stressed or if you feel kind of agitated. I mean, I used to have that tendency that suddenly I would find myself irritated. And then, because I was irritated, somebody must have done the irritating, and so I look for somebody <laughs> to be irritable with. And so the poor thing, my husband often was round the corner. <laughs> and then I realized, but he's not done anything. So I would think, wait a minute. So it's not because of him. Then what happens? And then I realized that actually I would feel irritable when I was tired. So then I started to really put more mindfulness. That's what is interesting with intention. You decide to be more aware of when you're tired, you become more aware of when you're tired, actually. So I started to be more aware of that. And then as soon as I started to feel tired, I went to rest. And then I was much less irritable. So in a way, it's kind of like noticing what are the conditions which seems to take me in a way, I seem to be reactive. Sometimes there can be a specific trigger, sometimes not, and sometimes there can be a contributing factor. So it's going to understand what's a setter. One of the things I kind of, many years ago, that's why I kind of uh, have this think about this stage, beginning. I noticed when my husband went away, this was way, way, way back, I would become in such a funk and he would fall and I would really be unpleasant on the phone. And I thought, this is weird. Why do I, because I did it once, I did it twice, okay. Third time, I'm going to bring mindfulness to this. First day, fine. Second day, fine. And then the third day, I see the thought. I see the trigger. The trigger thought. Oh! And I could see that just to have that thought was like flooding my whole body and mind with extremely unpleasant feeling toward. So then, as soon as I saw that, I decided, okay, now I'm going to do something else. I'm not going to follow that thought. I'm not going to feed that thought. I'm not going to amplify that thought. So then I went to read a book, go for a walk, talk to a friend, and then the thought went. To such degree now I can't remember what the thought was. <laughs> but in those days it was extremely powerful, extremely triggering. So in a way, uh, creatively engaging with this beginning stage is like because you have more mindfulness, you have more tools of awareness, you can start to look. How does this work, this? It's not all the time. So what are the conditions? What is the trigger? Could there be a contributing factor? And then having understood this, as Chris keep pointing out, what kind of resources? can I use? Because this is also the thing we have to see, that the mindfulness of meditation is not just to deal with suffering, not just to deal with reactivity and negative habits, but mindfulness, meditation, is also to develop resourcing, so to develop our potential for stability, for clarity, for discovery, for many different things. And so in a way, at that beginning stage, that's where you can bring the other side. Instead of just kind of uh, exploring what is going on, exploring the reactivity, exploring the unpleasant feeling tone. Here at the beginning, the creative engagement is the condition being such, contributing factor being such, and the trigger what is it? In what way can I help myself? Because I am not powerless in this situation. I have qualities, I have capacity, I can help myself. 
So in a way, kind of having seen what's going on and having that power in a way to put it into action. And in that way, kind of in a way, de-triggering, so to speak, kind of dissolving a little of the power of the reactivity of the habit. And then there is the fourth one. And the fourth one is what I called before. And this is where really over time we have developed enough power of awareness. And then when we've developed enough power of awareness, it can come into action without us necessarily thinking about it and now I must apply it. But it's kind of like uh, a clarity that comes upon us. And so, in a way, you could have the condition. You could have the condition, I mean, one of my habits from a young age was if somebody hurt me, I would just freeze them. So, like, when I was young, I would do this for a week or two. You know, so you hurt me, I don't see you, I don't talk to you. We have a special word in French. You don't have in English. It's boudé. It's a little like sulking, but it's different. It's like you really close yourself off. And then as I meditated, the advantage was kind of the timing got a little shorter. You know, instead of a week, two weeks, it was kind of a few days. And then there was a condition where somebody said something to be hurtful. And then in the morning, I could hear her in the kitchen. We are all living together at the time in a community. And I could feel, as I was going toward the kitchen, I could feel the habit coming up, like the wall coming up. But before they said themselves, I kind of, something within me said, you could do something else. And then there was this incredible fear. How can I do something else? I've never done something else. And then I realize why we don't change. We prefer the pain of the known than the non-pain of the unknown. And that, uh, that's where I realize that the creative engagement in that moment is to go beyond the fear of doing something you've never done before. And so I went beyond the fear. The wall did not come up. I went into the kitchen. I smiled at the person. And I felt such ease. It was like, oh. And the immediate thought was, why did not I do this before? You know, like. And then something else came up that um, Chris talked about, talked about yesterday, compassion. At that moment, also compassion arose in terms that I suddenly realize why this, what this reactivity in terms of closing the person off, how painful it must have been for the other people. Because all this time I was just thinking about me protecting myself. So I was just thinking of my pain. But in that moment I realized this was, must have been so painful for the other people to be cut off, to be shut off, to be not to be connected to whatsoever. And by seeing that, I have never done this again. Because I thought, I don't want to cause this kind of pain to myself, to others. And then, can I find a different way when somebody hurt me? How can I creatively engage with that instead of having that survival mechanism or shutting off? So, looking at these uh, four stages to see that it's not linear. Why do I mean it's not linear? Of course, the fourth stage is very nice because the thing disappears. But we might not necessarily be able to do this with every reactive pattern. Some reactive pattern can go but some reactive pattern will not go because it might be partly physiological, partly different condition. 
But what can happen is that it really diminish in terms of time, in terms of intensity. And so sometimes, even if you have meditated a lot, you might still find yourself, oh, I did this. Or you might still find yourself in the middle, oh, I am doing this. Or you might, ah, what are the conditions? What is going on? Or you might suddenly have the courage to go beyond, and then you can have a different way of doing things. So to see that according to different things, we will be at one stage or the other. And so the fact that we might be at the after stage doesn't mean that we cannot meditate, or we're not mindful, but very likely certain limit will reach. The fact that we're in the middle of feeling angry or anxious doesn't mean the meditation work, doesn't work or we can't do it, but that possibly the circumstances are such that we cannot not experience this. So I think to see that there is not just one way to let go, there is not just one way to creatively engage, and that when we go into our daily life, we have so much opportunity to learn as much as when thing goes well, when we feel wise, when we feel compassionate, and as much when we don't. If we don't act in a wise way, if we don't act in a compassionate way, what happens? What stops me? What, kind of, what was going on? So we, we, become, we don't become guilty, we don't feel guilty about it. Instead we kind of uh, investigate what is going on here. And then I wanted to, to, to look a little bit in terms that tomorrow most people will go back home and generally they will uh, go back to work, but they will also go back to relationship. Relationship in terms of family, in terms of friends, in terms of working together, in terms of a loving relationship, in terms of having children. And one of the things that often happens uh, in terms of the mindfulness, the meditation, like I got a, a little note about that, which was that if we talk of non-self, if we talk of non-grasping, then does it mean I cannot love anything because I am going to grasp once I met somebody as a, as a kind of spiritual exercise? he was going to stop drinking coffee because that was grasping, drinking coffee. I thought, I mean, unless you drink, you know, two liters of coffee a day, a little cup here and there, I'm not sure that, you know, you need to do that for that. But this is interesting. What does it mean, actually, to love someone? And personally, I feel that the mindfulness, the meditation can help us to develop what I call creative wise love. That actually, uh, of course, uh, we can love somebody, and of course, this can lead to grasping, no doubt. I mean, I don't know if everybody knows that, but I presume some of you at some point might have experienced falling in love with somebody. And then it's kind of like, wow, I mean, talk about grasping and magnifying. This is like <laughs> kind of total state of grasping and magnifying. But falling in love, uh, generally it's a state, lasts a little bit, and then it goes. And then what you have left is love, which I would say, how does it work, that love? When you love somebody, what to me is interesting is okay. You love someone, child, friends, partner, animals, plants, whatever. But what happens if you grasp, if you grasp, what are you grasping at? Are you grasping at the person? Are you grasping at the feeling the person produces in you? What are you grasping at? 
I mean, you could grasp at the person. You love somebody, they make you feel good, and then you want to be with them all the time. So you stick to them. That's what I did at the beginning of my marriage with my husband. I would stick to him. <laughs> then I thought, this is a bit kind of stuck. You know? <laughs> I, you know, the poor thing is kind of stuck, and I'm stuck. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, not a good idea. And then I saw love more as instead of like often we have this kind of romantic ideal notion of kind of, you know, two persons love each other and then they kind of become like an egg, kind of like, you know, comme ça. But then I realized it's not like that at all. It's more like parallel line. So we love each other and then there is what is between us. But there is also what is outside us because we relate also to many other people. So there is many kind of love. And so we want to build what is between the line, but also we want to build what is outside the line. So then we're not just kind of like focusing on that one person for our feeling loved or our happiness. Because that's the next question. Am I grasping and the feeling I experience because of this person? Is this feeling of mm, warmth? Mm, mm. Is it going to be there permanently all the time? I cannot doubt it. You know? If you've not slept well, or if they're in a foul mood, or you know, some. I mean, my husband is a great writer, great teacher, but I mean, put him at the moment, put him in front of problem with the internet. The computer, I mean, you know, it's, it's, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, I have to calm him down, find a way to calm him down. He gets really agitated. And uh, I mean, I still love him at that moment, but w I would not say that when he's in that state, I have a, I have a warm, oozing feeling toward <laughs> him. I think, hmm. I have an unpleasant feeling tone that is really agitated. I have to sort this out. You know, how can I calm it down? So in a way, when we love someone, I mean, there is no guarantee. I mean, if you don't have the warm, woozy feeling, is it that you don't love them anymore? Or is it that love is more than being close to, is more than just feeling a certain feeling? And it's more about, in a way, sharing something together, appreciating each other, caring for each other. And so in a way, of course, we're going to influence each other. We're going to kind of uh, depend on each other, but depend on each other more in the term of befriending, kind of, kind of accepting what is difficult, understanding survival mechanism, growing together in the good qualities. Because you might notice that before you live together, if you are to live together, I mean, love is fantastic. I mean, oh, I love you. And you, know, and you love them because, oh, they like this and like that. Oh, And then you live together. And for some reason, your habits are better than theirs. <laughs> So then, you want them to become like you. you know, they must eat the same way, or they must... It's interesting that. So the love is there, but the habits is a little problematic. So in a way, to me, one of the gifts of love, the gift of love is actually to love someone, to say, I love you. I mean, within reason, of course that they're relatively harmless and thing of that nature. But the gift we give to somebody to say, I love you, to me this is a gift, because it's really, oh. Because you see, what is weird is that, I mean, what happens when we love something? When we love something, generally it has this pleasant feeling tone, this warmth, this lightness. My um, grandmother, before she died, she kind of, two years before she died, she kind of, really something happened in her brain. 
So before that, she would see me and it would be, oh, Martine, oh. And I would just lift up her mood, just to see me would lift up her mood. Because I think she had this love for me, which would give her a warm, light feeling. And then two years before she died, it disappeared. She would look at me. Hmm? I did not have that effect anymore. But little bunny rabbits still had it. So when my niece came with a little rabbit, she would sit next to it. And I think in order to have that warm feeling, which she was losing because of what was happening in her brain. So in a way, love, in a way, gives us this warm, light feeling. But some of the time, we don't love ourselves. And this is tough. If you're stuck with somebody yourself toward which you have unpleasant feeling toward, this is not fun. But what if we loved ourselves? Then you would feel warm and woozy all the time. And then if somebody loved you, it was just a little kind of adding ice cream ice to the cake. So this is interesting in terms of love. To me, love is a very important quality that we need to cultivate. And the meditation is not about not loving someone, something, because it's an important uh, tonality to experience. But what is interesting is if I grasp in terms of relationship, what am I grasping at? Am I grasping at the person? Am I grasping at the feeling? Am I grasping at the idea of the person? And that, I think, is a little dangerous, especially with children. With children, not everybody has children. I don't have children, but I can observe what happens with my friends. And I had a friend. He really, really wanted to have a child. His wife was not keen, and she had to produce it. So she was very, not very keen. She was a hardcore meditator. She wanted to be able to go to the jungle for months at a time and practice, you know, hardcore meditation. Baby did not really fit into the program. And, the, and my friend said, oh, I want a child so I can really teach them and love them. And I could see there was a lot of idealism about that child. Like she, he had a picture that the child was nearly going to save him. And I, and I kind of be careful, I said, you know. So finally, he convinced the, the wife to have the child under some very strict condition. You, know. <laughs> you do this, you do that. He said, okay, sign on the door. And then they got the child. And of course, it was nothing like he thought. Nothing like he thought. And what was beautiful is because he was a uh, meditator, he kind of saw that very quickly. All what he was kind of grasping at in terms of the idea of what the child was going to provide for him. And the child was the child. And so that he, it was another human being that he had to care for does not mean to just accept uh, without any uh, discrimination or clarity or awareness. Uh, because in a way, often you can hear this late motif, uh, be with things as they are. And once I was talking with a friend who was having a very difficult time, and then I said, well, you could do this, you could do that. And said, no, 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 no. I have to be with things as they are. You know, regardless of how they are, I have to be with them. And I said, hmm? This is a strange idea to just be with things as they are. I thought, where does this come from? So I checked, uh, and I was told, yeah, yeah, it's a part of the, of the Buddhist... Uh, framework, vocabulary, but actually the being we think as they are is actually a more recent shortcut of a translation of the term. Because the term itself is actually yatam, bhutam, nyanya, dasana, which actually means see 
and know things as they come to be. He doesn't tell you just be with things as they are. He says, see and know things as they come to be. And so I think this is a very important aspect of mindfulness, of meditation, that of course, seeing and knowing how things come to be, it could be that we have to accept them because there is nothing we can do about it. But it will be a creative acceptance. It will not be resignation. It kind of will be really creatively engaging with what we see, what we know of what is going on. So the acceptance we're talking about is actually an acceptance which is going to bring clarity. And so we accept things because we see them clearly and then we might not change them because there is nothing we can do about it. So that creative acceptance of that. I remember many years ago, a very good friend of us was dying of cancer. And so he was in a hospice and he had uh, not so long to live. And he was with morphine all the time, so he was barely, really not conscious. But we still went to see him regularly to just be with him. And there is nothing we could do. So we have to accept that there was nothing we could do. But at least we could be there. So in a way, acceptance is this really creative, warm acceptance. But it's not just about acceptance. They will see the possibility of transformation. And then again, here we have to be careful because when we talk about transformation, often we think mainly in terms of inner transformation. I have to rearrange my innards in some ways and then I'll be totally fine. But that does not, it's not what you mean. Sometimes it can be an inner transformation. Also sometimes it can be an outer transformation. The condition we are living in, the work we might have, the relationship we might be in, it depends. So I think we have to be careful to think again, be with things as they are, and then I just have to change what's inside. Not necessarily so. Sometimes the, con the condition might be too much. You might need to do something about it. So seeing that the creative engagement has really these two aspects. One is acceptance, but this creative acceptance. And the other part, this transformation. But not transformation for its own sake. But the transformation comes from what is appropriate, what is beneficial, what is wise, what is compassionate. What are my limits? What do I need to grow? So there is many different ways we can look at. And so I will stop here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.